Hello, and welcome to Talking About It, a podcast from New Canaan, Connecticut, dedicated to reducing the stigma around behavioral health issues our community members face, preventing abuse, and promoting healthy relationships. I'm your host, Cindy Graziano. Each month, we'll share a new episode, including topics such as girl empowerment, teen body image, bullying, relationship violence, helping friends in crisis, social media awareness, and much more. Our goal is to create an educational and open dialogue within the New Canaan community and beyond. Because we're not perfect, and we're talking about it. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Suzanne Adams. We're going to be talking about domestic and family violence, and in particular, how to become even more aware of this issue during this time. We'll be discussing abuse and the many, many resources available to us, as well as how do we help? How do we as bystanders help those that we think might be in a crisis situation? Our guest, Suzanne Adam, is the Executive Director at the Domestic Violence Crisis Center in Stamford and Norwalk, Connecticut. She joined DVCC in that capacity over a year ago, and prior to that, she was the COO of the Women's Center in Danbury, Connecticut, and previously Director of the Greenwich YWCA. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you so much, Cindy, for having me. I'm so thrilled to be representing DVCC and be here today with you on the podcast. So I'm wondering if maybe a good place to start, Suzanne, is just to define domestic violence. What are we talking about when we talk about abuse, whether it's partner abuse or domestic or family abuse? Absolutely. Very often people say that he's a good provider. He's never hit me. She's never prevented me from seeing our friends. It's a family secret. A lot of people misunderstand and find it difficult to understand or even comprehend domestic violence. So let me define it. Domestic violence is also called intimate partner violence. It's a pattern of coercive and intimate controlling behavior in a relationship. This behavior can manifest an abuse that's verbal, emotional, physical, and financial, technological, and even sexual in nature. It's important to know that one in four women experience domestic violence and one in seven men in the United States have experienced physical violence in an intimate partner relationship in their lifetime. While domestic violence can affect anyone regardless of their race, gender, identity, religion, or sexual orientation, social, economic status, and even education level, African-American females experience an intimate partner violence at a rate at 35% higher than of white females and about 2.5 times the rate of women of other races. And transgender individuals experience it dramatically higher, the prevalence of intimate partner violence, compared to those with cisgender individuals. One study found that 54% of transgender individuals experience some form of intimate partner violence. Additionally, some of these marginalized groups may even have experiencing unique additional barriers and leaving abusive relationships. Power and control, is not based in anger. It's control when they abuse, when their children are around, how they abuse so they don't get caught, so they don't leave marks on your arms or your body or on your belongings. What about the cycle of abuse, Suzanne? What's the difference between someone having a bad moment versus the pattern or cycle of abuse? Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. There is a great deal of confusion around that when we talk about the cycle of abuse. 
So I really love to clarify that. We used to refer to abuse that way. And the cycle of abuse could be a pattern of abuse that was thought to be predictable. What abuser would use to follow a similar pattern of behavior. What we understand today is that domestic violence is about power and control, intimidation, coercion, and there's nothing predictable about it. Um, there's nothing predictable about abuser's behavior. So we really don't use that term anymore when we're talking about abuse. The cycle abuse term is often doesn't resonate with the li lived experience that victims have today. Um, the cycle of abuse does talk about a reconciliation or a honeymoon phase. And I don't like to think about that as a phase or a part of a cycle, but abusers at some point in time do show remorse and they tell a victim that they're sorry for their actions and they promise to change. And this is all part of emotional abuse where victims believe what their abuser is saying to them, that this is intentional. It's intentional. I'm apologizing for behavior to rely on the fact that someone is going to believe me and they will have hope that that person will change and the abuse will stop. And people being abused by their partners are constantly thinking that, are they being abused or are they not being abused? Mm -hmm. uh, the abuse is never inflicted totally at random times. And we talk about the generational cycle of abuse where kids are involved. Studies show that children growing up in a home with domestic violence, where it is present, is the strongest predictor of a child becoming either a perpetrator of domestic violence later in life. And additionally, domestic violence is a leading cause of homelessness for women. We may not always be able to go to our parents' house or our friend's house because our abusive partner knows where we live, knows where my uncle is, knows where I work. So that abuse typically follows us no matter where we go. You know, it seems that during these times, these uncertain times, it may be even more difficult for someone who is falling, quote unquote, victim to abuse. Right. And the triggers are so unique now. And maybe they're not. Maybe they're not as unique as we think they are. Can you talk a little bit about the triggers and especially during this time, how the quarantine and stress is impacting violence? Right. right. Well, what we saw back in 2006, 2008 with this financial impact, we did see nationally, including Domestic Violence Crisis Center, an increase in domestic violence. When something that happens that exceeds our ability to cope, that becomes a crisis. And we all respond to that crisis in different ways. Some people may drink a little more or may become reclusive. Some people may fall into those Roman romance novels and have to read them to just have some relief from the pressure they're experiencing. But those triggers, the fear, uncertainty, lack of control of what's happening around you, uh, frustration, being home for long periods of time, um, those pivots can be easier for some than others. And what we have found within this COVID crisis that we've experienced is that there are two different individuals of victims that we've experienced is that some are able to find some relief because they are all home together. Uh, the abusive partner always sees where they are and can see what's happening. Um, they understand where's their texting, who's going where, what you're wearing all the time. And another group is experiencing being under the thumb of their abusive partner 24 hours a day, seven days a week for many, many months. Uh, the fear and the violence and the abuse is escalating. So individuals are going into their bathrooms to make phone calls. They're 
pretending they're walking, well, they're walking the dog, but they're taking their phones with them so they can come uh, make a phone call and call our crisis lines. They're pretending that they're talking to the school teacher when they're really talking to an advocate on one of our hotlines. So those are some of the triggers that can turn um, an everyday situation where someone is just going along and because of that insecurity and uncertainty, they may become or act abusive, but they're actually not using the ability to have power or wanting a control over another individual. Um, however, at DVCC, we're here for both. We're here whether your ability to cope has pushed you into a crisis and you're having challenges with anger, or if there's an individual who's experiencing domestic violence because someone, an abusive partner, is manipulating that behavior to control, to scare, to instill fear, and to have power over another individual. So it's so interesting, Suzanne, and I think one of the things that we are seeing is that there are professionals, not only the professionals at DVCC, but teachers or doctors who are able, in many cases, to recognize violence at home or some form of domestic violence. But I'm wondering for the rest of us, if there might be signs that we need to be a bit more aware of. Absolutely, I'm so glad you brought that up. There are many red flags, we call them as red flags of abuse. Mm -hmm. If someone you know has experienced any of these dynamics in their relationship, it could be a signal that abuse is happening. You know, controlling abusive behaviors, possessiveness, constantly checking in, playing head games, walking on eggshells or around a partner, um, extreme jealousy with young, young adults and teenagers, they often feel or see that jealousy is a sign of love and actually is a red flag from the very beginning. Um, unexplained bruises or injuries, extreme um, jealousy we did discuss, isolation from friends and family, someone stops engaging in activities um, that they typically would enjoy. Uh, mom typically used to go to soccer games and now she's not here as often. Dishonesty, you're not able to be as open or honest with your family members and friends. And breaks of communication, you know, uh, right now during COVID-19, we're all communicating probably more than we ever have because we now have technology to talk and being in connection all the time. But when someone disappears for long periods of time, isn't texting or isn't emailing or isn't calling, that typically means something's happening. And more importantly, there's something that people can do how someone can start the conversation, just starting the conversation can be very difficult, but how you can help a loved one or a friend or a child that you may know who's experiencing something at home, it's important to have the conversation, but at the same time, manage your expectations. Very often we feel if we just bring it up, are you okay? I'm afraid for you. We think we're going to solve it all in that one moment. So understanding that the victim may get defensive, they may deny that there's even abuse going on, that's okay, that's absolutely okay. It's difficult for them to come to terms with the situation and to talk about it. And the best thing we can do is simply be supportive and be non-judgmental and be prepared to give your friend, your loved one, the contact information for professional help when they're ready to use it. If you suspect someone that you know is being abused, you can remind them of their rights. People don't deserve to be abused, and people have the right to be safe in their own relationship with safety, equality, and respect. People have the right to recognize those signs of domestic violence, those signs of abuse. Very often people, especially with young people, 
including adults. This isn't limited to young people, but we have the uh-oh feeling. With little ones, we talk about the uh-oh feeling. And it's really important for people to listen to their intuition. It's there for a reason. And if you listen to your intuition and recognize those warning signs, you have the right to do something about that and try to safely get yourself out of that relationship. Talk to your friends, ask what you can do. Sometimes just listening or taking a walk at eight o'clock in the morning or right before bed might be helpful to a friend or just knowing that you're there, being supportive, reaching out to them and spend time with them. It's important because abusers very often try to isolate their partners from their support system, including friends, family, coworkers. Give the power back. Give their power back to their survivor to discuss. Let them decide what their options and resources are, including connecting them with a professional, reminding them that there are risks and rewards to, to leaving an abusive relationship, but they should have the power to be able to decide how they navigate that relationship. And we're here to help them navigate that. It's important not to tell anyone what they should do because that brings judgment and that will shut down their ability to communicate and be honest with you. It's really important that victims have control over their next steps and control over how they can find safety and justice within their own relationship. Thank you, Suzanne. It sounds like as, as you were communicating that, that there are many signs, some that are very noticeable and some that are a bit more subtle, but that there are ways that family and friends can approach that and do you have any, perhaps an example or a story you could share with us of a positive outcome of someone that did do that, someone who would help a friend or help a family member? Uh, I think some of our audience are hesitant to even bring it up. I can share a TED Talk. If anyone wants to check it out, a TED Talk with Leslie Morgan Steiner. Um, she decided that she was going to tell everyone. She told her neighbor, she told her mailman, she told her friends, she told everybody. So when she was ready to leave, and even during the times of the challenging experiences, she was safe and had enough knowledge. We often make decisions based on fear. Um, you know, especially victims of domestic violence. What's really important is that victims of domestic violence are making decisions based on informed decisions, based on information, based on facts, based on security, not based on fear. And by Leslie sharing her experience with so many people, she was able to realize that her support and what she could do with her community, with her friends, with her family, with her colleagues, was greater than the abuse that was, she was happening at home. And her life was seriously at risk. Um, he was extremely abusive. Um, and another wonderful story is a, ch a child who, um, through a prevention education program, we used age-appropriate puppets um, talking with the little ones. And one child was going through the regular preschool class and experienced one of the little puppets talking about different types of abuse. And that child took the puppet home and was playing up in her room and the little guy was talking and then the puppet was talking and the child was talking and the mother was able to overhear what the child had experienced at the hands of another family member. So you see something as simple as education, age appropriate education, talking about conflict resolution, 
and how things were safe or not safe at home. And you, it gives voice to that young child to understand that what's happening at home is not normal and I can get help. So the mom was able to get help and she was able to connect the child to services and the family was able to connect to services. And these are just small little snapshots of the day in the life. You don't know what moment is going to resonate with someone. You don't know that when you make eye contact or that smile or that understanding look or just letting your shoulders drop down, you don't know if that's going to be the moment when someone feels safe to talk to you or feels safe to say, I'm scared. Or a friend may say, I'm afraid for my friend. How can I get help? We're here for those individuals as well. We're here for the whole community. So it really works. It works when people are connected to services. Suzanne, you've defined domestic violence. We've talked about signs to be aware of. We've talked about how as friends or family members, we need to lean in and ask or be a listening ear, be non-judgmental. There are also tremendous resources available to anyone, whether they are a victim of it or they are concerned about a family or friend. Can you tell us a little bit more about all the resources that are available to anyone? Absolutely. I think it's really important for people to understand that if they're in crisis or if they're afraid for their life to call 911. I think people feel that um, they're afraid of what's going to happen next when someone calls 911. And what happens is if a police officer does go out to your home, um, once that call is made, victim advocates are there for you. Uh, very often the police will call our hotlines and we will be connected directly to a victim of abuse once an arrest or even if arrest hasn't been made. So that connection and that safety connection through 911 is there for everyone. Um, then there's a national domestic violence hotline that I'm sure we'll place at the end of the podcast, a statewide domestic violence hotline and a local domestic violence hotline. All of those hotlines, no matter what number you call, will connect you to your most local. So if you're in Tallahassee, you'll get connected to Tallahassee. If you're calling from Connecticut, you'll get connected to your Connecticut local program. Also, I think it's so important within our community to understand the support and help with the New Canaan Abuse Prevention Partnership. They are a wealth of knowledge, education support, community awareness, and we are so lucky to have them as our partners in raising awareness and prevention for domestic violence. Excellent. Suzanne, a couple of more questions, and just to begin to summarize, and it may not be this clear cut, what are a couple of things that are the most important thing for us who are listening that are trying to better understand this very serious issue? What are a couple of gems you need to leave us with? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that, because I think the most powerful way to disarm an abuser is through an informed and empowered community. Um, as we discussed earlier, Leslie Morkensteiner, she told everyone that's the one thing that saved her life by telling everybody. And in that same way, we need to safety plan as a community. Um, it's really important that we know that when victims are connected to services, we know that the lethality rates go down. So if you or someone you know that you think may be an abusive relationship, DVCC is here. The New Canaan Abuse Prevention Partnership, we are here. Whether you're in a crisis or you just need to talk, we're there to talk about it and supporting each other and in supporting our community. Thank you, Suzanne. And just as a final note, uh, this being the 
month for domestic violence awareness. I know DVCC is doing a lot. Can you share with us one or two of the events that are going on? I know you do things all month, but particularly this month. Absolutely. I'm so excited to share that we're doing um, wonderful uh, collaborations with the uh, Norwalk Darien YWCA in a couple of weeks. We are doing wonderful programs with our local libraries. Uh, the Stanford Library is doing a three part series. We are collaborating with local coffee shops to have coffee sleeves that have awareness and the hotline attached to them. We are sending out to local um, faith communities, whether you're the Jewish faith or the Christian faith um, or non-denominational. A lot of people use their faith as a way to cope and to get support and strength to deal with domestic violence. So we are partnering with our faith-based uh, communities as well. And whether if you're in New Canaan or in Stanford or Norwalk, Darien, Wilton and Westport, uh, we are here to provide services as well as to bring awareness to Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Thank you, Suzanne. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about just the definition of domestic violence, but also how critical it is to lean into a situation that you may normally feel too uncomfortable to bring up, whether it's family or a friend or a neighbor. So I will keep all of those good ideas in mind as I go forward as well. I want to thank you so much for being a part of our podcast and to talk about what is such a difficult and challenging topic. With October being the Domestic Violence Awareness Month, there is uh, 31 days of October, but we know that this is a 24-7, 365-day issue. And we so appreciate your expertise today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I so appreciate you all bringing this to the table and talking about it. And I just encourage everyone, be brave. Talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors, talk to each other. We are all here for one another. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Suzanne. We have been talking with Suzanne Adam, the Executive Director of the Domestic Violence Crisis Center in Stanford and Norwalk, Connecticut. Her national presence in this subject is highly regarded, and we are so honored to have had you today. Thank, Thank you. Today's episode of Talking About It is part of a series of monthly podcasts dedicated to helping break the cycle of abuse and creating healthy relationships. Future topics will build on this theme. Our goal is to raise awareness of behavioral health issues and create an open dialogue. Remember, if you or someone you know is in immediate danger, call 911. For crisis intervention and other services and resources, including safety planning, counseling, and emergency shelter, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at one 800 799-7233 or in Connecticut you can call or text the statewide abuse hotline at 1-888-774-2900. This podcast has been made possible by the New Canaan Abuse Prevention Partnership, D.D. Bartlett Founder, a grant from the New Canaan Community Foundation, and Inovia Media Group, Robert Doran, and Claire Ayud, executive producers.